What's going on, everybody, and welcome back to the School of Hard Knocks podcast. I'm James, and I'm here with Jack and Josh, and we got another very special guest today. We are out in Scottsdale, Arizona with nine-figure entrepreneur, e-commerce, and retail mogul, and the founder of one of the largest oral care product companies in the entire world, Mr. Josh Snow. Thank you so much for being with us today. What's going on, James? It's a pleasure. And, you know, before we get into this episode with a bunch of questions to really tell your story uh, and all the great success that you've had, if you could kind of give everybody out there a brief introduction to yourself, just tell your story about kind of like how you got to this point that you're at today and just let everybody know a little bit about you. Absolutely. I uh, see here. I grew up in uh, West Phoenix, so born and raised in Arizona. Uh, didn't have you know much money to our name. You know, we very humble beginnings, um, and I learned how to create websites uh, out of the Phoenix Public Library. Actually, we didn't have a computer at home, and um, I just I I always had these big ideas, and and I didn't know that it would be website design. I just felt like I had to create something. And uh, at 13, 14 years old, I started building my first websites, and then shortly after that, I figured out. Um, how to build websites for other people, um, and then started getting paid to learn. Uh, then I needed uh, to figure out how to drive traffic to those websites, um, and I didn't have any money, so I learned search engine optimization, um, you know, how to rank those sites on Google, get more traffic, charge for those services, so getting paid to learn. Uh, very fortunate and blessed to have been able to do that, and that was where I started um, as a teenager, and by 17, I was generating millions in sales for other people's products through affiliate marketing, through those websites that I was making, ranking on Google. Uh, and instead of just doing it for clients, I was still doing it for clients. Um, I would build my own website. So I'd have my own side projects. And those side projects ended up being so successful that I sold my agency. And for the last 10 years, I've been uh, building, scaling, and selling brands uh, in all sorts of spaces. Uh, and now I spend a lot of time on the investor side as well. And I'm most known for Snow, which I started um, while I was undergoing jaw surgery and researching. Uh, you know, obviously the market's big. I was looking for something where all the odds were stacked against me, uh, looking for a real big challenge because I had, you know, I had graduated university. I was building different businesses, first in my family, just a lot of um, a lot of exciting things. But I was looking for a really big challenge. So. My whole life I've been an entrepreneur. I, I don't know anything else, but I didn't know that I was gonna do this growing up. I wanted to be a doctor. Wow, so I wanna kinda of go back to like when you're like 13, 14 years old, getting ready to start those businesses though. Like, was it ingrained in you from a relative or a person, a mentor that you found? Like, how did you know that you were gonna start building businesses? Did you just wanna seek uh, problems and solutions? Like really, what was that turning point like for you? I mean, there was always something a little different. Like I would watch my friends, like we'd all be playing games and stuff, like on a computer or whatever, and uh, even at the library, and I wanted to, like, I'd be like, it'd be cool if the game did this. Like, you know, how do we edit it to do this? And like, uh, I didn't, I didn't know exactly. And I think, for me, adversity um, was a huge inspiration. And for me, it was being broke. And being broke was a huge motivator to say, how do I change this? But nobody wanted to hire a 13-year-old. So um, I'm, I'm very, very blessed and thankful to the to the internet, and uh, really being able to. Um, you know, kind of start to make money at that early of an age um, while I was in school. And it kind of just, it's kind of just made sense. You know, it just, I didn't know it at the time, but uh, anything that I could do to create, have control and uh, over that creativity and outlet for, for my creation. And then I found that I could get paid doing it. So I was, it just clicked. And I remember sitting in freshman algebra class and I would write down, 
how many visits the, the, the blog is getting, how many clicks we're getting on our ads, uh, uh, on my ads, AdSense. Uh, I figured out AdSense and that was insane to me because I made like 13 cents on the first click uh, and I was asleep, so like I'm making money in my sleep. And I would send algebra and I'd be like, all right, if I, get, if I get to a million page views per month, that means that you know I can help my family out, I can buy a car when I turn 15, 16. Like, I was just sitting there figuring that out. And so I think once I got a taste for it and I said, I'm, I'm decently good at it and I can get better at it and I'm gonna get paid to do this type of stuff, um, that's where it really, you know, I sat there and said, I wanna do whatever this is uh, and again, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship. I, it wasn't like something that I was like, I want to be an entrepreneur when I get older. Um, I was like, whatever this is, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. So you went to Arizona State University. I have to ask, you know, you're in a position when you're younger that like you technically don't have to go to college. Uh, you know, the three of us, we have a couple different backgrounds when it comes to college, but we all kind of have the same view. I think, uh, you know, going into entrepreneurship, at least especially outside of the college age, uh, we don't necessarily look at college as like something that's necessarily necessary. I graduated from college, Josh dropped out of college, and James is currently finishing up at college. So why did you, in a point where you were so successful at a young age, felt that college was necessary, was a choice that you wanted to go to? And how did you manage that balance uh, between college and business? That's a great question. Uh, well, for me, um, you know, being a minority, being Hispanic, being first in my family, coming from extremely, extremely humble beginnings. Uh, and entrepreneurship in the beginning was a huge risk. You know, it, it wasn't like this, I, I felt like I wanted to do this for the rest of my life, and, and, uh, but I wasn't sure. Like I just wasn't sure all the way there. And it was always, there was always this like background voice of, you know, have a backup plan was part of it. Um, then when I found out college, you could study something that you're more interested in. I think if, if, if I had still gone down, uh, I mean, I'm extremely interested in, in medicine, but if I would have gone down the medical route, which was my original plan versus computer information systems where I could build websites and I could do things that I enjoyed and that I felt like would be useful in the future. So I think being first in my family, uh, I was able to score enough scholarships that, that helped the burden in terms of like the financial side of things. And, uh, and honestly, with, with, with uh, Arizona State, very entrepreneurial at their business school. I was also in the honors college. Um, and then I was able to, you know, scholarships, so that helped the financial area. Uh, a major in the business school that I felt like was interesting that I could, you know, uh, stay focused on long enough and really do that. Um, and one of my mentors, uh, Mr. Mort Fleischer, he talked about the purpose of, 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 of higher education in a different way about learning how to learn uh, becoming a master adaptive learner, which is a, a keyword coin um, through Arizona State, but it's like there are different aspects. And yeah, you learn communication. You, I, I, you know, I'm still friends with a lot of my professors and advisors, and uh, they always treated me as an individual and as an adult. And I think it would have been a lot harder if I didn't have that environment. To be honest with you, this is my at least my scenario. Um, and I also think that because I was able to time collapse, so I graduated in 24 months. Uh, that it, I couldn't do that in high school necessarily. I guess I could have, but knowing that I could control that a little bit more, um, I took my major map and uh, you know starts at four years or whatever for the program. I was able to just move things around uh, and drop it down to three. Then I did two and a half, and then I figured out and I ended up graduating in in, in two. 
So that was important too, because by the time I had turned 20, I was, I had my degree, uh, I was running a multi-million dollar business. Um, I enjoyed living on campus. It was an extraordinary experience. So in my scenario, um, I couldn't see it any other way. And ultimately I'm very grateful for the experience and, um, yeah, I, I wouldn't change a thing, but I, I think it's case by case scenario for sure. I just think that you got to think longer term. You know, I even thought, you know, as a future father, I want my kids to see that you can do anything. It's not just about doing everything. It's more like you could do anything. And like, this was my path. This is what I was able to do. And I don't expect you to do the same thing or at that level. But if you want to play three instruments instead of one, why not? Or if you, if so I wanted to be a testament to my community to a community of young entrepreneurs, to a community of, of, of Hispanic entrepreneurs, especially uh, Hispanic students, and just showcase that because there is, there is still a very tangible value in, in, in American society to getting, um, you know, getting a university education. It does have a, a value to it uh, substantially still. And so it's especially some trades, or not trades, some professions that you simply cannot do without that um, type of training and certification. And so I think there's a very real aspect to that that gets overlooked a little bit nowadays because yes, prices have gone up uh, substantially, uh, democratization of, of access to information. So you can get a YouTube uh, degree, you can get a podcast degree essentially by listening to a podcast every day. There's so much information accessible to us that um, it's kind of challenging the, the historical value of a university degree I think that's just going to transform, um, uh, and I'm I'm still a huge huge believer in that. And uh, we have a nonprofit called the Fleischer Scholars Program, and we help underserved students uh, during their junior to senior year in high school learn about scholarships and uh, learn about the university, which which major or discipline might be interesting to them. Uh, and there's really a strong value to that. I still think that the majority of people are going to benefit substantially from that education. Even if you end up doing something completely opposite of what you studied in school, you still learn a lot of those principles and having to read books that, you know, are this thick and they're, you know, I'm running my business and I'm like, I can do this or I can read Shakespeare volume 10 and write an essay on it, right? You're like, it's kind of tough, it's kind of tough, but. Honestly, it was a challenge too. I wanted to, I didn't want to back down. I was once, I'm all in, like I'm all in or I'm out. And I was already in it. And it was a challenge to be like, could I do, could I take 22 credits a semester, which is what I did? Could I get straight A's? Could I run a multi-million dollar business? Could I be involved on campus? Could I do it all? And um, I think at that age too, you've got tons of energy. So if it makes sense for you, why not knock it out? Um, and if it doesn't, I think the financial implications are important, you know, debt and things like that. But I still think that there's a, a ton of value in a university education. Absolutely. And I want you to actually like bring us back to like the early stages of Snow. How did you kind of come up about like finding the idea, coming about like the product? And what did Snow look like back then compared to what it looks like today? Well, actually, this is one of this is where it started. I mean, it didn't look like this, but it was essentially the very same thing, which is close enough. Uh, and now we, we have sold well over a million units of, of this uh, system, this teeth whitening kit. And it started from my own journey. I mean, I've, I've been whitening my teeth since I was like 13, like when I started in business. And I'd go on eBay and buy these like black market strips and all kinds of stuff on there. And 
But then I got really, I, I ended up with really sensitive teeth as a result of it because I was just experimenting all the time on, on my smile for, for whitening. So, um, and I tried everything, uh, dentist whitening, uh, which boom, fast results, but I just had trouble with the sensitivity. So I kind of started to give up on whitening my teeth. Um, but then going through jaw surgery, I wanted to take my, my branding experience, my marketing experience and take it to the Olympics. I think building a brand in many ways is the Olympics of entrepreneurship, um, inventing the product. Uh, you know, I'm a patented inventor now. We have multiple awards on, across every product, the entire line. Um, but in the very beginning, it's me, my laptop. I'm figuring out, you know, I know oral care is big. I know it's nearly impossible to break into, which at that time was a big part of the allure. Like, what's the, like, can I play the game on extreme difficulty, blindfolded with my left hand? And it was just like, that is interesting to me. And I was seeking an intensity uh, and a level of difficulty that would keep me focused um, and, and get me up in the morning. Because even at that age, I was, what, 22? Um, I was two years out of college. I had... Uh, uh, sold a couple of the companies that I was running at the time. And, you know, I was, I was doing what every 22 year old boy wants to do. And, you know, I bought a Lamborghini, bought a Ferrari, and this is a kid with 10 cents and the city bus. Right. So for me, I'm just like mind blown. But then, uh, sadly, I didn't know, like, I used to hear this all the time. Uh, money doesn't buy happiness. I'm like, yeah, give it to me. You know, like it was just that, that was my response. We're like, I'd rather cry in my Ferrari. You don't want to cry in your Ferrari. It's much worse. It's much, much worse because if you're at a level that you can afford that where you should be able to feel comfortable, at least your, your shelter's covered, your food is covered, and you're crying in that Ferrari, there's something else going on. And that, so I just didn't know that. You don't know it until you, you get there. Yeah. And I think at 22, I started to, um, I actually was going through a bout of like depression. I didn't know what it was at the time, burnout. Um, which is really a form of depression. And, and that was my first real hit because I went from sharing my uh, entrepreneurship. I started 13, 14. So for seven years until I graduated, I was splitting school, which I was taking 22 credits a semester with business and meeting clients and doing all this stuff. So it was the first time I could just go all in on business. And of course, that's what I did. So I went so hard for, for, for those years. And then I said, well, you got to sell a company. When you build something, you sell it. And so I sold the company. And now I'm like, okay, well, what do I do? Like join a country club at 22? Like, do I just go learn golf? Like, I don't know what to do. So I became pretty depressed. Uh, and I realized that's when I started to do a lot of the inner work. Um, and, uh, and now I'm all about it. But back then I started a little bit. And I said, all right, there's not a, the pursuit of happiness is generally implied that there's some point that you get to this euphoric point where you're just like, okay, I made it. You know, I beat the final boss. It kind of sucks though, because once you beat the game, if you really love the game or like you really love a series yeah. and you just rush through the episodes and there's only one season, but it's the best show you ever watched. It kind of sucks when you get to the end. And so you got to enjoy the middle. And that's why I said, I got to pick up a journey that's going to be very challenging and all that. And so that first thing was, building this, um, uh, building the teeth whitening kit, I wanted to bundle together the products where someone could get uh, professional level results at home for a fraction of the cost with um, taking sensitivity into mind. And the first people I knew were my oral surgeon doing my, my jaw surgery, uh, my orthodontist and my dentist. 
and I went to them and kind of told them what I wanted to work on. And they were extraordinary and, and, and very helpful and very fortunate because they said, I'll test it. I'll share some stuff with you. And obviously on Google, you can find everything. But that was the very first system was um, um, uh, teeth whitening, uh, a teeth whitening kit. Um, and then we invented the ability to plug it into the phone. And that's where things took off. And um, now that's one of our top selling units, you know, millions of units sold. So, you know, you ended up building Snow, though, into a multi-hundred million dollar business. And in our first interview back in March, one of the things I asked you is what's the biggest difference and what takes a business from seven to eight and then nine figures. And seven figures, you said you got to find a skill that you're disproportionately better at than everybody else. Eight figures as a team and nine figures as multiple sales channels. And Entrepreneur Magazine actually posted this. We got about half a million views on it. Could you break that down? Like, really, what is the difference between a seven and eight and a nine figure business? And really, those things that you implemented to continue to gradually grow and scale your business? Definitely would love to hear how you like you applied it to snow as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. We'll use snow as an example. So uh, disproportionate skill set, I had already acquired that through, um, you know, uh, web design. I can build a website. I can run the ads. I can media buy. I can SEO. Um, I can uh, edit photos. I can edit videos. So I self-taught 99% of my stuff at this point. And so I knew that I had disproportionately uh, stronger skill set. I started with nothing. I mean, everywhere starts literally with nothing. So, but I had sharpened it so well that I knew that piece. So the seven figure, I, I had a pretty good feeling that snow would be a seven figure business. Otherwise I wasn't going to do it at that point. Um, so it, it had to be a seven figure business at least. And then eight figures team. And so by this point I had started to build a little bit of a name for myself and started to tap the network and be like, who is, who's better than me at SEO? And then how do I support that person, convince them to join the team um, and, and, and then do it again and do it again and do it again. And so eight figures um, uh, is really around other people. Um, and that was something that I'm, you know, I still sharpen today and, uh, and I don't think I'll ever totally master it, but um, it's so, so important being able to recruit a really, really strong team. It's actually, the, if you think about, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, they have the exact same 24 hours as us. But when you have 50,000 employees times eight hours shifts a day, you have a lot more leverage than the average human. So you've just cloned yourself essentially, right? And I think that's super important. You go, how can someone be worth 280 billion and is only 10 years older than me and had the same 24 hours and they started from nothing? it's some point of leverage, intellectual capital leverage, uh, human capital leverage. And so you learn very quickly. I think for me, I was, I was kind of a whiz kid, right? They kind of labeled me as a whiz kid and that put a lot of pressure on me. So every business I was trying to start was like, I used to Google, you know, um, what was Mark Zuckerberg doing at 21? Uh, what was Bill Gates' net worth at 28? You know, like I was kind of, that comparison culture was huge. And I had to, um, I had to break up with that image and say, if I'm the smartest person in the room, you know, and you hear us all the time, like, that's the wrong room to be in. You don't want to be the smartest person in the room. You want to listen two times more than you talk, especially earlier on. And um, there's, this, there's this form that Naval Ravikant talks about that I really love is there's two phases of your life and you can dip between the two. And sometimes you can do two, both of them simultaneously, which is exploration and exploitation. Exploitation sounds a little bad, but that's the word that's used. Exploration is I'll meet you for coffee. And back in the day, you want to meet me for coffee? I'd do five coffee meetings in a row, five lunch meetings in a row. Like I'm just 
do it all because I was exploring. Uh, uh, exploitation is like Marco Polo, they find silk and then you build a business importing that silk. So exploration as far as China and then exploitation of what you've learned. Um, and you, if you want to build something big, I've used this on podcasts before and some people don't like it because it's an animal, but I said hunting elephants versus hunting rabbits. And you can take the analogy and do 500 variations of it. But, you know, if you uh, want to hunt a rabbit, you can do it yourself and you're going to feed yourself for a day. But if you want to hunt an elephant, right, you need a team. You need <laughs> people to do that, right? I love that one, yo. <laughs> you know? Yes. So that's it. But that was team, right? So that was eight figures. Um, nine figures is still team. Still team, right? You... you you, you got it. That's got to be your biggest thing. I mean, I still spend today um, a disproportionate amount of time that people would expect on LinkedIn um, and I'm poaching. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm reaching out to people for paid consultations. So if we know that TikTok organic is going to be a really big deal for our business like Snow, which brands are crushing it? So I download a spy tool. I look at brands that are crushing it. I search the brand name on LinkedIn. I click on their employees. I use tools like Rocket Reach, Contact Out, Signal Hire. It gives me their cell phone from their LinkedIn. And I shoot them a text. And I say, hey, James, I'm a huge fan. You, let's say you're the uh, let's see, director of social media at a soap brand. It doesn't have to be in, in our industry. It's soap brand. But I know you're crushing it on TikTok because I can see through the spy tool. I can see how long you've been there, two and a half years. And I can see on similar web, or I can see when the traffic spiked. I go, you're probably... You know something. You might not be the guy or girl, but you probably know it was there because you've been there for that time period. So I reach out to them and I offer them uh, uh, some cash if they'll take it for some paid consulting. It's like, hey, I'm in a non-competitive space. Would love to chat with you for 30 minutes. I'm actually building my organic TikTok team right now for Snow or for Anala or one of my brands and um, hop on the phone with them. And uh, I'm very successful with it. Um, uh, and it's very simple messages, just like what I said but I'll send that same message to five to 15 to 20 people, depending on how urgent it is. Um, and those, uh, that strategy helps me on the eight figure side, which is team, very big focus on team. How do you find these people? That's why communication is so important is, uh, I remember watching the very first Steve Jobs presentation of the iPhone, 2007, June announces the iPhone. And I watched that thing like five times. Um, and I was like, I know one thing for sure, I'm buying an iPhone. I didn't like, just at that age and at that time. That was, like, a, that was, that was like a marketing 101 seminar, right? There, he, he was <laughs> Man, he gets up there for right? 26 yeah. minutes or whatever and just, just the way, the, 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 the uh, intonations, the tonality, um, just genius, man. Genius. The simplicity, the imagery, visuals, you know, just a big iPhone and then 32 gigabytes or whatever it was back then, right? And uh, he could have been talking about anything and I would have bought it. And that was a moment where I said, wow, I've got to learn how to do that. And so you read books like How to Win Friends, Influence uh, People, Charisma on Command. Um, you know, you start to understand how can I convey my messaging in as effective of, as a way as possible. And then because my life has been spent in, in sales, I mean, it's, it's what I do. Um, how do I sell my vision to someone and convince them to leave an otherwise comfortable position. So when I do these calls, a lot of times I don't mean to necessarily, I'm not looking to hire sometimes. Like most of the times I'm not looking to hire the person I'm talking to. I'm looking to get insight, fast track. Oh, well, we're using this software. We use the five others. I go, thank you. You just saved me 
12 months and 100 grand of random software costs in 30 minutes, right? Then I'll ask them for referrals at the end of that. I say, do you know anyone that might be interested in this position? Well, why don't you send me the job description? I actually have a girl in, in mind. I think she'd be perfect, and I don't think she's happy where she's at right now. And I taught her how to do this, and she's crushing it. She's better than me. So now I've got a referral, I've got the insight, I've got the, now I've made a, a relationship, I can go back to this person. If we've exchanged a little cash for her, her time, she knows that she can trust that, you know, I'm gonna pay you for your time, I respect your time. And most of these people have never been reached out to before. You know, the director of social media, maybe by recruiters, but not like, hey, I see what you built, and I respect the heck out of it, and I will pay you for your time. No one does that, right? Like, you know, maybe the CEO, but, Everyone else on the team that's actually doing the work doesn't necessarily get recognized that way. And this is one of the number one reasons why people leave an organization. They're underpaid or underrecognized, you know. Um, and so that, that's, that's eight. Nine is sales channels. Snow now is in uh, CVS, Neiman Marcus, Saks, Nordstrom, Best Buy, Target, et cetera. Um, from a retail perspective, we're still heavy on, uh, obviously, on direct-to-consumer. Uh, we've had over 50 million people shop the website. But that was... Um, the, the, the area there is, okay, let's say you figure out uh, retail or you figure out TikTok or you figure out YouTube or SEO or one of the 50 ways, door to door, uh, you figure out one of those channels and it's working. Some of them, if they're scalable enough, I mean, you can build a billion dollar brand on TikTok for sure, um, but you generally, generally, you're going to start looking for other sources of that traffic and the, the, those customers coming in, right? So at that point, we said, okay, let's add Google, let's add being the digital side first, which is what we're really good at. So let's add TikTok, YouTube, Pinterest. So you look at these channels, test budget, you kind of figure that out. And so you start adding these channels. Then it was, well, in, in my space, in, or, in oral care, most of the action happens still um, you know, people forget that they ran out of toothpaste when they're buying toilet paper at the store or they're, you know, buying milk or so it's an in real life situation. Um, and so we wanted to meet the customers where they're at and, and kind of build a brand that way. And so that's where we started our retail push about three and a half, four years ago. Um, and we've been adding some incredible partners like we just launched in Nordstrom nationwide. And so we continue to add to that retail stack. But then there's wholesale. Then we started selling to dermatologists, spas, dentists. And you kind of figure out, you don't need them all necessarily, but you figure out which ones are worth it. And then you become super competitive. You hire in there, you do my LinkedIn trick. That's when you really kind of, all right, we're moving into TikTok. And so you line up everything to go into that. And I look, I look at if it's, is it profitable and is it scalable? Uh, if it's not profitable, probably not worth doing, right? You gotta change that. If it's not scalable, how far can you really go? And some things you might have to do, like PR is relatively scalable. But um, you know, at, at the time, I remember when I was even still running some of the media buying for Snow, I could go in and I could uh, you know, edit the budget. And I would say, all right, let's spend 50 grand today and see added three times return on ad spend or whatever. And all right, let's spend 100K. Oh, we broke it. And then go back down. And so some channels have the ability to scale massively. Um, but eventually for a nine figure business and beyond that, you're going to have to have, it's, it's about distribution. It comes down to how do you get more distribution? Even if you're in a B2B space, um, how do you get more of that, of what's working? And if you're really lucky, you find one or two that just really take the, take the pie and you can build long term there. 
But if it's digital, usually those things change, right? Like Instagram, at one point, you could go viral on Instagram. Very difficult to do today. TikTok has taken that um, as bait to get people addicted to the platform, and it works because now Instagram's on its monetization path. A social network makes money uh, or grows in two ways, uh, two main ways, in my opinion. One, adding more users. Everybody has a Facebook account, so you're not going to add more users necessarily. The second one is you charge more for the, the rent, right? That's really the only way to do it if you think about attention as a digital real estate currency. Rent referring to as like ad costs and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? You're right. You've got, you know, you, let's say you own in, in the physical, in the physical world, you own a plaza and you can't build more buildings. Let's say you're, you're tied up. Well, let's double the rent and see who moves out. Hmm. No one's moved out. Or if they did, we replaced them. Double it again. So that's what's happening. And now they're looking at WhatsApp ads. They bought Instagram, which is genius. They bought more plazas, right? Um, but at some point, if you can't add more users, you got to make more money per user that's on there. And if you're a free advertising-based platform, the ads have to go up in price. So now you're competing against someone selling a Bugatti and you're selling a toothbrush. They can afford a hundred grand to acquire that customer. They're going to figure it out until that point. But uh, that's but, but there's TikTok and there's YouTube and there's Google and there's all these other channels and it just depends on what you're selling your brand B2B is going to have LinkedIn right so it just depends on the platform but these these few platforms have network effects and um, the people that create network effects are worth usually tens of billions but uh, and I'm I, I'm not smart enough to do that uh, that's not my play my play is to utilize those network effects to build a one billion dollar business I feel like you know when someone's a new entrepreneur, they wear many hats, you know, they're trying to figure out marketing, improve the product, you know, they're, they're doing a wearing a bunch of hats. And now you're at a scale where you're at the, the nine figure plus mark. What is your kind of day to day? And what is kind of your role now as like the CEO of a company? Very busy, very busy, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I, I absolutely love, I love what I do. Even on the, the great days, the hard days are all the same to me at this point. But um, like we talked about team, team's important. So uh, I no longer am media buying, right? Um, I'm no longer, you know, editing the website and designing the website. Um, I'm heavily involved in product development, product innovation. I'm heavily involved in distribution and sales, branding, things like that. Um, but I've been fortunate to hire some incredible team members and partners that do a lot of that day-to-day -day now, right? So on, on the snow side, which allows me my, my biggest principle about management with uh, especially high-performing individuals is move to higher value work. So if you can elevate your people, um, I like to triple train, something that I learned watching John Paul DeJoria, uh, triple train your people so that in case of a contraction or recession or something, they know how to do three things. You know, you get someone who you know, can, oh, I can kind of design a website. Well, let's work on that too. Let, let me take an hour every day because I want you to sharpen that just in case you do a little bit of everything. You dibble and dabble, but it drives value. And then the second piece of that, which is my most important one, is move to higher value work. So if I can elevate my people to instead be doing manual data entry, let's say, and they can outsource that on Upwork, and now we can utilize their brain in a different facet, and it's higher value to the organization. And how do you quantify higher value? In, in my businesses, especially the branded businesses, it's brand equity and profitable sales, uh, profitable growth, customer growth, whatever. 
So if it does one of the two, it's worth discussing. If it does both, it's worth moving on very quickly and we should discuss it now. If it hits neither, let's keep thinking about chew on it. And so um, I give my people a ton of autonomy. Uh, hire really great people and do your best to get out of their way. Don't get your eyes off the ball, but really create an arena where there's a healthy level of competitiveness, not, not too overwhelming, but you got to figure out if you're only going to have 50 people, you don't, you're not hiring 5,000. So you need 50 really good people and you need to be willing to move people out of that organization or into different roles if it's hurting the organization. Um, so I think that that's for my day to day, uh, I'm on a lot of calls, right? A lot, a lot of conference meetings, conference calls um, with my executive team, with directors, with the whole team, with partners, uh, retailers. Um, I'm jumping on a pitch. Uh, like I said, we just launched Nordstrom. Um, in the old days, I would have had to do all of that, right? Um, but because I've got a, a solid team there and I've got a really good uh, partner and our VP of sales, um, I can rely on someone like Amber to carry that ball forward and then uh, I try my best to teach my team on how to best use me. And so it's, it's, it's that way they know when to bring me in. They know when, you know, they get better and better. You coach them through that. Um, and so my days, mostly on calls, like I said, I'm, um, I'm hunting on LinkedIn all the time. I love it. Um, I stay up at night sometimes just doing that. It's fascinating. It's, it's, everyone put their resume online. It's genius. And it allows me to go and find everybody, like people. It's amazing. So I do a lot of that. So uh, recruiting is huge. Uh, product development, product innovation, sales and distribution expansion. So those type of meetings, distributors, et cetera. Um, critical, uh, critical meetings. So if we're doing a price change or something that's going to impact the business materially, we're talking through that. And then I save a little bit of time for, uh, you know, extra projects and things like that. And uh, Snow, is, is, uh, uh, Snow is what I'm most known for but I'm the founder and CEO of a couple other companies, particularly founder. Uh, and then I've got about two dozen invested uh, uh, businesses in all kinds of industries. Uh, and, and then we've got our couple e-commerce brands, but Snow still takes up, you know, let's say a 12 hour day. It's, I, I would say it's probably six to eight hours at least. Sometimes it's the full 12. It just depends on the day. Um, and then I get a little bit of extra time to burn the midnight oil um, on some of the other businesses I'm working on. And then cross-pollinate, you know, Snow's been successful as a result of me being able to bring in additional resources. And, um, and then I do, you know, charity work, spend time, you know, with my fiance and friends, balance is important, um, try to get active. Um, today I had a boxing class and a workout with my trainer. So try to do those things, mix it all in. And, and honestly, it, it, some days, some weeks, it's about seasons. You go through so many seasons in your life and some seasons are more difficult than others. Some require a lot more commitment to work and you're like, is this ever going to end 12 hour days for three months in a row? Like, ah, oh, this is a lot. Um, but it changes and you're in control of it. And I think right now I'm very busy because we've got some really exciting stuff. Uh, snow is in a very, very interesting position. Um, and you know, it's, it's the sport of business. It's like a game. Um, and I'm at a really good part in the game. Uh, and it's kind of like chess too. And every move drastically changes the, the future of the game. And, and so I imagine myself like walking around in snow, um, like the old guy walking around in, in New York City and he's playing four games at once or six games at once. He's not actively 
Like if you were running four marathons at once in separate states, you couldn't do that. But because the, the, the game allows you to sit down, analyze the board, make that move, get up, move to the next one, analyze the board, move it. It's like the guys who do the Rubik's Cube. They look at it for a little bit and then bam. And so that's kind of what I'm doing all day is Slack. I mean, it's, it looks different. It's not that, but yeah. you know, it's Slack, it's phone calls, it's, I'm texting. Uh, I'm always moving. People see me on a plane sometimes and they'll, it happens often and they'll be like, what do you do? And it's not just because they want to know what I do, but um, they see me cranking away on, uh, you know, I was flying back from Italy and, and I was just on one and I was just ripping through so much work. Probably went through like 5,000 emails. Uh, all my Slack was up, updated, a thousand text messages updated. I'm always behind, but um, you know, you gotta just prioritize. That's what it comes down to. So I spend the morning and the night before prioritizing as best as I can what's gonna move the needle. And I try to stay as focused as I can. And then I train, I hire incredible people, get out of their way, support them. Uh, we work together on alignment. And that way I don't have to babysit them because I'm truly not I'm the worst micromanager at the, in that aspect. I really don't like to do that. So it's better for me to, to spend a little more time finding someone that I'm not gonna have to do that with. Uh, and I make it very clear that their job is to do what they do best and we wanna, uh, we wanna get to mastery. If you're here to just clock in, clock out, knowing that the, the team's gonna eat you alive, like that's just not what we do. It's a very competitive, uh, healthy competitive, but growth focused environment, it's a growth environment. So you gotta create that. As the founder, as the CEO, or as the leader, you set the tone. And so if you set the tone as like, you know, learn how to utilize Josh in the best way. Don't go to him and say, where's the stapler? Or like, you know, where's this email, right? If you don't, you know, train your team, they're not gonna know how to utilize you and they're gonna think you're useless. So you've got to train them and say, this is what I'm really good at. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I need your help with. I need your accountability here and I'll help you here. And then I think it comes down to that communication of, of getting accountability and buy-in from them and saying, James, do you, do you really think this is possible? Yes. Okay. Uh, how long do you think something like this would take? So leading with questions, do, doing your best to do that. So that way you're not just bulldozing, which I'm guilty of just bulldozing, like, not even gonna go the other route, we're just going there. So hold on tight, strap in, give me 20 minutes and then I'll leave you alone. But you gotta train your team to do that, otherwise you will continue to be bogged down. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, in our couple talks with you that our team has had with you, a big thing that we love talking to you about is you know, influencing marketing as a creator, different things. I think the creator economy is one of the biggest industries that is happening right now and set forth for the future. Uh, I'd love to give your take, especially as someone that is, you know, the CEO on the product side, you probably work with a ton of influencers with your product oh, yeah. uh, night and day. I would love to hear from you from your perspective, like where do you see uh, the, in, the creator economy going? And also would love to have you touch on for yourself as the CEO of a product company, how can influencers better serve the brands that they work with in regards to those that take on deals marketing a product like what are some things that you've dealt with with influencers that are good and bad and also you know after that where do you see this thing going like for yeah. creators how can they really make a lot of money going forward especially working with brands like you yeah no good questions i it's what happened is that we uh attention is their currency is a currency today it's a big one uh but that was usually centralized so if you're not Fox, CNN, CNBC, you know, all, if, if you don't have centralized attention, 
those are the guys that they still make the big bucks, but those are the guys that, that had it. It wasn't, you know, at 20 years ago, 30 years ago for sure, but like 20, even 10 years ago, very difficult to think of, uh, you know, kids nowadays, six, seven year olds, you go, what do you want to be when you grow up? They say, I want to be an esports uh, millionaire. You're like, honestly, great idea. Like, honestly, <laughs> it's honestly, yeah, you could, because yeah. that, that was a joke back in the day. Yeah. yeah, they had like game testers, right? You could be a game tester, but not Mr. Beast. Like what? Like they're, that's actually, so now like I love hearing that. In the beginning I was like, well, that's new. It's like, that's, that's exciting. And now I hear it so often. I go, you know what? That makes total sense. Uh, I want to be a food blogger and I want to have a line of nonstick pans. Yeah, that's actually dope. Like that sounds yeah. great. What are you going to cook? Oh, I was thinking of doing Dutch recipes because there's a niche for that. Sounds great. I, like, it, honestly, like it really, that could work. Like that could work. Yeah. Uh, and the more niche you are, sometimes you get, you know, you get paid a little bit more money because if you're the number one, you know, Dutch recipe, nonstick pan company, you know, uh, as an example, I don't know if that's a thing, but um, you can actually demand more because as a brand, you know, we're looking at all kinds of stuff now, and with 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 the tools that are available, we can see which engagement's real and all this stuff. And I would say, um, figure out your authentic niche. I mean, even if it's a character you're playing, but like figure out what that area is. Um, because those people, if you're just a general influencer, unless you're like big, big, it's difficult to kind of put you in a box. Sorry to say that, but you know, as a brand, we're looking for all the tools, make it like this click beauty, click cooking, like you have to choose who you're looking for. So think about where do I start? You can always expand. You can always expand. I mean, Snow Star with one product, we have 60 SKUs in the line, toothbrushes, toothpaste, all kinds of stuff, right? Um, you gotta start somewhere, start with one. And uh, I didn't launch a second product for like two years. And it was a wireless version of, of the wired system. So it was the same thing, but wireless um, versus like 50 products overnight, right? So you can always expand. You don't, you don't have to feel like you're totally boxed in. Um, and I think uh, on the creator side, like, you know, we spent probably at least tens of millions of dollars just on the snow brand, on influencers, celebrities, all kinds of stuff. What I found now is that um, we like to do a lot of micro nano influencer stuff. It's very authentic. Um, you know, you get more of the community involved. You know, brands like Fashion Nova, Bang Energy, they go very wide with their influencer reach. And if you have a product like an energy drink or clothes uh, or toothpaste, you can go pretty wide. Um, so it depends, on, it depends on your business. But I think on a creator side, um, follow through is a big deal, man. Follow through is a big deal. And it's, you know, it's interesting because now uh, you know, anybody, right? Anybody can honestly make at least a side income, uh, a few hundred bucks a month. If you stay consistent, you create content. Um, and the platforms, remember, you work for them. And so, uh, not directly, but they, like I said, they make tens of billions because they figured out how to do none of the work. And they said, what if we had a billion people and we just gave them likes and juice the algorithm a little bit, get them hooked. It's one of the, the deadly sins. Uh, we can't help ourselves, vanity. And so let's, let's, as soon as James posts his first video on TikTok, juice it. So they juice it, just like when I go to a coffee shop, Dutch Bros, they gave me this card, it's t you get 10 coffee, you buy 10 coffees, you get one free. They always give me four 
on the first coffee. And you're like, that's awesome. Thank you. And stats show, I looked it up after that and it shows like it's 50% or whatever, some crazy amount higher that you're going to complete that. And that has a value attached to it. So when you join TikTok and you go, I got 400,000 or 4,000 likes on Instagram, I barely get 400. You say, now I'm going to produce more for this. So they exchange uh, engagement and what it feels like to, to be engaged with online to not pay you for the content, essentially, right? So you got to understand that. And so it's important to be consistent, follow through. I mean, if, if, if we get any, at this point, any influencer doesn't follow through, they're out. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not good. And word gets out after a while. There's so many people that, you know, it's hard to police everyone, but we certainly won't work with you again if, if you don't follow through. And I think that's been our biggest issue is communication because uh, they become business people overnight, right? Like you, you have a video go viral, then you got some brand deals come into your inbox and then you're like asking your brother or sister, be my manager and like respond to this email on Gmail. And uh, back in the days, 2014, 2015, it was wild west on Instagram still. And even the celebrities were managing their own Instagram. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't on the menu. It was like, you got to talk to them directly. I don't know if they're going to do that. Um, but that was when Instagram was, you know, their algorithm was on fire. And now it's TikTok and YouTube shorts and other stuff. And Instagram's still crushing it. But um, that's, how, that's how it works. And so I think from a creator perspective, I think it's going to, I think it's beautiful. Um, it's decentralized and democratized the value of the currency, which is attention. And you can be an attention dealer. And what type of attention do you have? You know, what type of ice cream do you have, right? And you go, I have men who hunt but not fish and they love eating cheeseburgers. Like you can really, and you're like, oh, that's actually, you got a lot of people there you can sell ads to, right? So you really, it's beautiful because instead of just going to one big TV network and just running an ad on the TV and hoping that enough people see it, like if you sold something to just older women, like it's very difficult to reach the audience or men who are unemployed for more than six months. Like how would you really target those people, right? So I think creators, it's only gonna go up from here. It's only gonna get more advanced um, and more and more people will be generating uh, side incomes from it. Uh, I think it's beautiful. I think there's some toxic aspects to it. We, we can talk about that for hours, but I don't know enough about it to even go there. But I just know that there is an exchange of that but I think it's going to be, uh, it's just going to keep growing. I mean, 5 billion, 10 billion, 20 billion. It's just going to keep growing. I, 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 had a quick, I just had a quick follow-up yeah. before. Like, uh, when you said follow-through for, like, creators. Yeah. You mean just, like, getting back the emails, like, following through on, like, a good post? Man, when there's, there's some good ones, man, where, where uh, and these are people with, like, 10,000 followers. It's not like they're, you know, and, and they are so good. And some people with millions of followers say, hey, I got the package today. Love the packaging. Can't wait to make the video. Uh, here's some examples. You don't have to necessarily over communicate, but like just like normal communication. Thank you. I received the package. I'll be getting to it. And then actually do it. Because what happens is that the package sits there and you're like, oh, I got to do this brand deal. And like, oh, I want to do something else. I, I want something else, whatever. And you lose track of it. And then now I'm sitting there as the brand owner for seven days and I'm like, Dude, like what's going on? You know what? Cancel the contract. We're not working with you anymore. So just knock it out. It takes five minutes or however long it takes. Do it. You've already committed to it. 
Um, and I think that's just a principle. I mean, that's just, you know, you got to live with that and know that you told someone you were going to do something and you didn't do it because you were lazy or wanted to watch TV or had something else going on. Knock out the video, respond to the emails, um, give feedback if you're able to. You don't have to go crazy. Spend two minutes. Got the package. Can't wait to film tomorrow. That'd be huge. And our influencer team watches all that stuff. We track every single re response. Uh, we grade the influencers on how, how well did we work with them in addition to how did their content perform. But if we work with some, some people we work with for years because they're just always on it. You know, I can re uh, rely on them to create different angles on ads tomorrow. They'll do it tomorrow morning on a weekend. It doesn't matter because I know I can trust them. And those are the people I'm going to give the budgets to. Those are the people I'm going to focus on. And those are the people that get recruited by some of the early snow influencers and stuff like that. I go on websites all the time. I was just on Lululemon and I saw one of our early you know, influencers on there on the front page of Lululemon. They end up getting picked up. Now, they, it's not because of snow necessary. It's just because they see the consistency. And then because they're great people and they respond. So like the money will, the cream will rise to the top. And so if you can at least teach yourself, make yourself accountable, it goes such a long way because people are very, unfortunately, unprofessional in that aspect. And a brand like Snow just isn't going to deal with that. Most brands are not even going to touch you at, at that point. Yeah, so I actually kind of want to talk to James and Jack about this one. Where one of my biggest, like, so from a, a creator's point of view, right? I'd say one of my biggest gripes of like being the creator and working with brands is I feel like we both, if we have the end goal of like, we want to make the best video possible. And I feel like for a lot of brands, I feel like the most successful brand deals that we do are when they give us creative freedom. Like, so obviously they give us the end, ro end result, but they give us the creative freedom to actually make the best video possible for them. And whereas you work with some brands and they will be very policing, like, oh, like, no, like we gotta, we gotta have it this way. And, and I think there are certain frameworks that you should, you should like obviously follow like within the brand guidelines and everything, but I feel like as a creator, you know what's gonna work best for your particular audience. And sometimes brands will try to put their own intentions and it's like, it's a, like it collides. What would you guys kind of say about that? Which, I mean, it's just a battle of just kind of just like, hey, you're the creator, this is how you make the content, that sort of thing. But then the brand also wants to be, you, you guys have values, you know, like, like the, 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 the owners of the brand, they have certain values and things that they want to portray and uh, perception of the brand. They don't necessarily want their product uh, being put in a certain light. They want uh, that, those sorts of things. So I, I, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of a weird dynamic when it comes to that sort of thing. I guess like us looking at it from a creator perspective, we always want to just be able to try to make the best video possible um, and get the, the product as many eyeballs as possible. Well, keep in mind, you got, I think, Yes and yes. So, you know, why would you hire an interior designer and be like, and if they have a style and that's why you hired them for that style and then you go, yeah, actually, no, just do gray and brown. And they're like, why am I here? Like, why did you pay me? Like, I, you know, so, but not everybody is that, right? Like you guys are, um, you guys are able to create that original style that works for the audience. You're very ingrained into and very in touch with that. Um, most brands, they, the brand guidelines, like we have brand guidelines, of course. If we're doing a, an actual campaign campaign where we go, we want to have 100 of our influencers talk about our new LED toothbrush or the fact that we launched a Nordstrom, we're doing a campaign and you have to mention Nordstrom. You know, 
that makes sense, like a, a flight of a campaign. Only like, I would say 1% of, of brands actually are validated in the rigidness of their, their guidelines. Because if you're really, really, really good at this, you, ha you, you really do know and then you look at the audience and you're able to translate. No one really does that, right? So, uh, you know, I could sit here and do that. We could sit here and talk about it, like, yes. But most brands aren't doing that. Most teams aren't doing that. They're, every brand has an ego. Uh, everyone has something to say. And there's this fear of the unknown. What if they create a video that, you know, it, it, whatever, uh, it gets 100 million views, but they were wearing a blue shirt instead of a yellow one. Remember, we love yellow. And you're like, like, that doesn't make any sense. You're telling me you're gonna be mad because it went viral and it has a, like, so most brands, I would say, are invalidated in that approach. It's simply a power struggle and it's a clash of, I know better than you. And it's a little bit of elitism as well of like, don't you dare, you follow these guidelines, um, unless they have like a fully scaled out program where they have to have, you know, McDonald's has to have a way to make the burger. You know, like you can't, like, you, you do it how you want to do it today. Like, that's not going to work, right? That's not going to work. So there is a balance, right? Yeah, 100%. You know, you're sick. They don't, they're not looking for innovation necessarily. Innovation comes from the top in an organization like that. So not everybody's like that, but I would say, why, why would you, man, some of our most successful campaigns with 100 million views, um, you never would have thought that it would work. Like internally, like we would, it wouldn't have gotten approved. Like you never would have thought that that would be the thing that worked. Um, and I think that you miss out to your point on the magic of the creator and someone that's put a lot of work in creating this audience organically like you guys have, you have to know what works because that is your business. Like that's what you do. And so part of hiring someone like you guys, so let's say do a brand deal, I'd be a fool not to include your guys' creativity because most of these people haven't created a TikTok video in their life and they're teaching you how to make a TikTok video and you're like, no, like this is what works. So I think that, I think that it's a loss actually. It's, it's a waste of resources, but uh, it's only case by case. People like you guys, I would be stupid to tell you, this is how we're gonna format it. So I'll say, here's our brand guidelines, here's kind of what's working and stuff and then work your magic. Like that would be silly for me to, to repress that. But unfortunately, I don't think they're gonna stop. Yeah. I, and I wanted to kind of ask you, I had a question that I'd been meaning to ask you for, for a bit. But um, you originally in the entrepreneurship journey, you started out, you were kind of like in the agency service-based space, yes. but you transitioned into e-commerce. But you've been in the game a lot longer than most people. And that's probably earlier than 99% of people who are in it right now. Like when you were initially starting out, did you have some doubters and people telling you that, man, this isn't going to work out? And, and if so, like, how did you ultimately overcome that and persevere beyond that? I mean, I wish I did. I didn't really, no one believed what I was doing. Like it was just, it was 2007, 2008, you know, that was that. But yes, I think that there were certainly people that were, that's too risky. That's stupid. I don't think that would really work. Um, I call them false concerns. So they'll be like, I just, I just want you to be successful. I think this is a really bad idea. And sometimes that's true. Sometimes that's true. But then it's, then it's like, it's their, sometimes, this is a harsh way, I guess, of saying it, the, the fact that they couldn't do more with their life gets imposed upon you as a false concern. And then there are real concerns. And then there's a mix in between. 
But I think that, uh, and there's jealousy and there's envy and there's all those other things too. Um, you got, but I knew early on, and I think sports helped me ingrain this a little further uh, earlier on. It was like, I have to be my biggest fan. Like I have to just rewire my brain, even if I got to pretend I'm a crazy person or something and just really build that from the inside. Because if you drive that too much from the outside, it's intoxicating and it becomes your validation source. And so as soon as people aren't applauding for you or liking your post or viewing your video, or you check your Shopify 500,000 times a day, you, um, what, I've rec- what I've seen myself, and I'm not a doctor or a psychologist or anything, but my, and what I've read is that there's a meshing that happens and so now all of a sudden your self-worth is based on how much you made on Shopify or how many likes you got. And it's very difficult to unmesh that. Um, and so you end up frustrated, irritable, depressed because you had one bad day or like a bad week, you know, but it feels like the end of the world because that's your value system at that point. You've, you've meshed it together. So I think that, yes, lots of naysayers, always, always, if you... If you don't have naysayers, not just that you're not thinking big enough, it's just natural, right? But then don't hang out with them. Like don't, you know, get rid of them, right? Like that was something that, you know, I think of it like your brain's software, a computer, and computers get viruses, malware, spyware, adware, and you gotta download an antivirus software. So you gotta clean it out. And that's just natural, you know? And if you wanna be a high processing supercomputer, you can't afford to have a virus. So you gotta extract it as soon as you can. And that's how I think about my community, my friendships, my closer community. Um, but you're always gonna have people. I mean, that's, people love to build, build you up just to tear you down. Um, and sometimes it's more fun to, to tear people down as a whole, right, as a population. You look at um, celebrities, unfortunately. I don't know how they do it with paparazzi everywhere and all this stuff, people um, capitalizing on them. Uh, and you know, it's just, that's kind of what we do as a, as a, as a society. So you got to know that if you're going to become the best, there will be people wanting to take that from you. There are going to be people that want to, uh, justify and find the whole, Oh, James is successful because his dad's a trillionaire. And like, no, no, he's not. And like, where did you get that from? So like they're going to come up with all these scenarios. Right. And you know, for me, I haven't taken a dollar off the table from Snow. So I, I, I bootstrapped, we bootstrapped the first $100 million, no outside capital. And I made all of my money outside of Snow. Uh, Snow is different. And so I think still to this date, uh, to this day, calling it Snow, like you're never going to get the trademark. We have it. Like you're never going to get the username. We're at Snow. Like there's just so much. And I think a big part of me loves to be the underdog. And I try to choose a game challenging enough that no matter how good I get, I still become the underdog because it's what drives me. Um, you know, playing, play, you know, playing the same level over and over again on Super Mario Brothers just to keep getting the coins. Like, there's a certain aspect to that, but I think for me, I think it's important that you take that negativity, use it as fuel if you must. I kind of just don't even bother with it nowadays. You know, it takes time. You know, sometimes things do bother me. Right, I get. Tons of comments online, 99.9% of them are positive, but there's always just some person. And what I found is that, because back in the day I would respond, I was kind of, you know, snappy back in the day, and I would respond and just lay into them, right? And then back and forth, and they'd get me heated. And then, like, 99% of the time, 
it's someone who's going through a tough spot in their life and they're projecting. And, uh, you know, it's like uh, someone will say something, right? They say, uh, well, he runs a teeth biting company. He's got veneers. I, I just got veneers a few years ago, right? And uh, it's something I've wanted for my whole life. They're not cheap and I wanted to do that. And, um, but, you know, regardless of that, they're going to try to find the hole in, in your story. And so try not to live by that, but also have fun with it and say, I poke a hole. Come on, try. And if you find the hole, thank you. Now I know where to fill that. And so I think the naysayers were heavy and they're not going to go anywhere. Um, and I, I probably have very little, but compared to when no one knew me, I certainly probably have more of those, but I find that it's just people going through a tough time. Like 99% of the time, someone's going through a tough time. And I've been there, uh, you know, you go into depression, they're going through a divorce. They just got cheated on. Their business partner cheated on them. Something happened in their life, and they're just keyboard warring online, right? And, and I had one follow-up to that. And, and I think that something that's not talked enough about is that you know, failure is it's, it's inevitable for entrepreneurs, especially if you're not coming from a lot of money. And you brought up earlier how adversity was actually something that fueled you. And one of the things I love about guys like Elon Musk is that they're constantly failing their way forward. But I would say a lot of entrepreneurs in today's world, you know, they'll fail, they'll take some punches, and they'll start to question if they're in the right industry, should they quit, jump from one thing to the other. For an entrepreneur who is going through that storm right now, what would be your advice to them? Like how, when you're faced with setbacks, big challenges, even at the highest level, how do you address those, those challenges? And, and, and what's your advice to someone going through the storm right now? Take a deep look. Uh, get, out a, get out a piece of of paper, I like these sketchbooks and a you know, big paper, get a nice pen or whatever, and uh, write down everything that's on your mind, what's bothering you. Uh, so-and-so didn't get me the invoice, whatever, just write down stuff on the left side and on the right side, do a little bit of vision boarding a little bit. Do like, depending on how big the storm is, if, you know, like in a real storm, the clarity when you're driving is far, so you've got to look a little closer. So you look, Three months from now, what would be cool? Well, I wish I was, I, it'd be cool if I wasn't working 16 hours a day, eight days a week, like insane, right? Uh, and so like that would be step one. Step two, um, I'd like to get a little more sleep. And so like wherever you gotta find that, do a little bit of vision boarding, and then get really authentic and true with yourself, look yourself in the mirror or not, and just talk to yourself and say, what am I doing here? And just, and be willing to give up on things like it's it's counterintuitive so let's like don't ever give up but also know when to give up don't give up on your dream of being that person that that you deserve and and you are here to be but the route uh, the path is it's really not up to you it's it's like the chess game if someone moves one piece another whatever 50 million variations just boom permutations right there that's life that's life. Um, but I would say if you're in a storm right now, take a look at it. What's bothering you? My business partner sucks. My, uh, we're not making enough profit. This isn't enough to help pay my bills. Okay, now we know that. Write it all down. What would it look like in six months if things change? Well, then, you know, I would talk to, get rid of my business partner. I would add one more product, kind of write those things down. And then get really true to yourself and say, maybe I need to sell this business. Maybe it's reached its shelf life. Uh, maybe I'm not just looking at shiny objects and the grass is greener. I really believe that I can do something else. 
if it's paying your bills, then you're going to have to moonlight and you're going to have to do both until you have the risk enough, you know, to, to jump over. But that's, that's kind of contrary because most people will say, don't give up, etc. And I say that too. Don't give up on yourself. Don't give up on your journey. Don't give up on what is in front of you. No, no, no. But be willing to go a different route. And sometimes I meet young entrepreneurs and they go, this is going to be my billion dollar company. It could be. But I've had like 25 companies before I even started this one eight years ago. So it's like, and now I've got another 25. Like it's just, it doesn't matter. You know, ultimately it doesn't matter. So I would say, have that conversation, uh, be willing to pivot, be willing to sell the business, be willing to move things around. Ultimately, you got to take care of yourself because you're racing a marathon. And if you're not taking care of yourself, you're going to fall to the floor in exhaustion. So be willing to have that tough conversation with yourself, your wife, your husband, your friend, your cousin, and say, hey, you know what? I'm just throwing this out there. I'm not giving up just yet, but what if I sold this thing, took 20 grand off the table, used five of that to start something that I really know is gonna have longer legs, I'm gonna be able to get that passion back. Otherwise, so once you have a conversation, you go, I can't do that. Well then, you've gotta do what I do in some of these businesses. When you make zero dollars, take zero dollars off the table in a brand like Snow, you have to fall in love with your business like every few weeks. And you have to find something, a challenge in my case, like finding a new challenge, to a new Rubik's Cube to, to unlock. That's exciting to me, right? So retail, wow, I've never done that before. What if we were in Nordstrom, Neiman Marcus, and Saks, which we are today, that'd be interesting as an oral care brand. So that challenge woke me up in the morning. Just like when I was a kid and I got a new video game, I'd wake up at 5 a.m. to play it. It's all I could think about, dream about, and get up. Not every day is gonna be like that because most things in business kind of suck in terms of what you have to go through. It's not easy at all. But you gotta fall in love with the hard work decide if you're gonna sell this thing, uh, stop doing it potentially if you can't sell it. Say, so I'm just gonna, what if I just stop doing it? Because I only got 24 hours in a day, opportunity costs, maybe I could do something else. Or maybe make a plan. Like with me on the agency side, I didn't know that I was gonna go into brand building and now investing in all these different areas, real estate and all, I didn't know that. But I could see that there was potentially a shelf life on, I wanted to take that to the next level. Um, and so I started prepping and it took, it wasn't overnight, but I knew that I was, I was not enjoying what I was doing as much as I was enjoying my mo moonlight time. And I could see my team members weren't enjoying it as much either. Uh, they wanted to work on the side projects that we were building. Uh, I said, okay, well, we've got six months, 12 months, however long it takes. We've got to replace the net profit we're making per month from the agency. We've got to, re um, not replace, but we've got to mirror that or at least show the growth. Then I could sell this thing and then we can move on over to this, this side of things. So sometimes you have to do that. But if you have a plan, it's a lot better. If you know, okay, six months from now, I know I'm going to get to that place. Clarity then comes through progress. And so then you got to get to work and just get one thing done. Then the next thing done. But the problem is that people around you, if they love you, they're not going to want you to quit because they believe in you and they don't want, they don't want that for you. And sometimes that's bad because then you end up doing something that you run a, a business that's never gonna make more than 200,000 a year and you spend 10 years doing that. Still a great success, you can make 200 grand a year, but what if you did something else? Like you're never gonna get that time back. So you gotta have that discussion with yourself and the world's in a weird place right now. We're in a recession, we're not in a recession. We're, uh, I can tell you things are really expensive now and it's kind of crazy. 
uh, and people have this angst inside of them. And so I think it's a beautiful time. It's the creative destruction. It's a transformative time. And that's not to play light. I mean, I grew up in, in, in those situations, so I know how difficult it is to worry about what am I going to eat next? Where am I going to live next? Not downplaying that at all, um, but just kind of tell yourself. I wish I could go back and tell myself that everything is going to be okay. Everything that I want and I'm looking for, I'm going to get and just kind of focus. And I did spend a lot of time on businesses that I probably shouldn't have, but I wouldn't have any other way. I'm here today and I think that was part of the journey. So look at it that way, zoom out a little bit, um, take a little breather and be willing to part with something that maybe isn't giving you that energy and really think through it because it's not a shiny object syndrome is a real thing. So something new is always going to look better than, than something that's difficult at the moment because our, our nature, our nature is to, um, if something's uncomfortable, change it. Like it's risk. Like we're naturally are that way as animals, like we're, that's what we're doing. So what happens is that we start to, and the smarter you are, the more you can visualize your failure just as much as your success. And once you start to visualize your failure, that sticks a little bit more because we are fear-based uh, reactionary mammals. So like we're gonna stick to the fear more than we are to the success. An overthinker, for sure. You're gonna think of 50 ways you're gonna fail. There's 50 ways I could die right now. Like we can sit here and talk to them, but what use is that? You know, give yourself a little bit of a pity party and then say, all right, 20 minutes, I'm gonna cry and I'm gonna be mad and sad and then 20 minutes, I'm gonna be happy and start writing stuff down and start to move that because if you're in a state of depression or a state of stagnancy and you're burnt out because things haven't changed and just know that even recessions only last one to four years and most of them are one to two. So it's a season and this is the season that you're in and decide is this the championship you wanna win or is just this Michael Jordan playing golf? So you gotta figure out what what aspect of that is there there uh, to you? And I can tell you, it takes the same amount of time to build a $100 million business than it does to build a $1 million business or a $10 million business, let's say. It can, right? At five years, let's say, and someone at five years will hit the 1 million mark and someone could hit 100 million. Timing has a lot to do with things. So if you have a business that's outdated and it's going down, figure out a way to sell it. But look at your time, your character in the game. How can I upgrade my character? some armor what do i need to do for my character what do i need to read and then go back in and say all right i'm gonna this is my plan and maybe it'll change 20 times by the time six months comes up but at least you have something yeah i actually want to talk about something you just mentioned right there is that it can take the same amount of time to build and let's just say five years to go from zero to ten that it would to go zero to a hundred million sure. what do you think is the biggest difference between those two businesses is it just the amount of problems that it's being solved or what is what would you say is the biggest difference there i'll preface this but there's a lot of luck and luck equals preparedness preparedness, uh, preparedness meets opportunity so it's and then there's just dumb luck sometimes but usually it's preparedness meets opportunity so the person who's prepared uh, recognized the opportunities, therefore they deserved it. Finders keepers, uh, first move, they're the first to move on it. Uh, you know, uh, my, my buddy Howie, for example, is one of the first to move on e-cigs and you know, uh, built a billion, you know, billion dollar exit, very successful, nice guy, uh, love him to death, and uh, first to move, right? And that guy creates his own luck. And so he stays prepared and he's constantly filtering opportunities. And when he's all in, he's all in and just goes after it, right? So I think that um, timing has a lot to do with that as well. You know, if you were, 
raising money for AI a year ago and you had something that actually was dope, you could raise a billion dollars, right? It's who you know and it's all those things, right? I think it's also, um, so timing and then total addressable market. I mean, you don't have to have that many customers to build a hundred million dollar business if it's B2B even, for example. But um, there's a company yesterday at our awards ceremony, they do roofing supplies and they have 4,000 roofers and roofing companies they sell supplies to. They were from 8 million to 550 million in 10 years. Uh, and it's like, I, who would have thought, you know, like, so it's all over the place. Every business can be a hundred million dollar business. I mean, essentially, right. If, if the, the addressable market's large enough or it's growing to be large enough. So, um, I think the, the, the product or service you choose is important as well. So if you're doing like book, right, uh, I'm going to do a book writing service for, uh, vets who are 71 years old only that live in Alabama once, but now live in Arizona. And like, I'm not taking any other client. You're like, well, okay, like, go for it, right? Start there, you can always expand, go expand, fine. But you know, if general, if you're choosing something that's got a large enough addressable market, and I think addressable market is not just the size of the market, it's addressable, which means that you have a service that is that much better. Um, you have to be substantially better usually than, even if you have a cleaning service, you've gotta be substantially better Oh, however that looks, service-wise, communication, whatever. Um, or you have to have some innovation that drives price down, right? So you're just so you've you've invented a way to make things cost ten times less, and now you're offering that to a large market. So when we look at those success stories across the board, right, um, from AI to um, uh, vital proteins, collagen, great timing. Uh, Kurt's phenomenal, genius. Um, they 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 but they pivoted early on. So I think you have to create your own look, luck by um, spotting the opportunities, creating those opportunities. Think two years out of who you wanna be and start acting that way now. So you go, all right, two years from now, how does Josh walk two years from now? How do I talk? How do I sit? You know, what do I do? Am I wearing a hat? Am I not? Like, you figure all those things out and you go, I'm just gonna start doing it tomorrow. And I'm gonna tell people that's what I do. And so you kind of have to manifest to a certain degree because people will help you then. But I think the big differentiator is timing, addressable market, and then is the product or service, you know, GoPro, nuts, right? Like when that happened, there's nothing like it. It's crazy. The drone companies, everybody bought a drone at some point, but the general population, the early adopter crowd is kind of waned out and you don't see so many people walking around with, or anyone walking around with an Oculus Rift on their head. So it's like, there's a balance, right? I bought the Google Glass for $2,000 when it first came out, and the thing gave me headaches. It almost exploded on my head. It was so hot in my temples. <laughs> and I put it back on eBay. Like, I sold it. Because uh, it was just, and that was a long time ago. But you kind, of, you kind of have to figure that out, right? So it's like, there are these trends, but you don't want to mistake. Um, I learned this from uh, uh, Jason at 37 Signals from Basecamp. to identify the signals from the noise. And so that takes time, that takes wisdom, which comes from experience, yours and other people's. And so one of the best ways to learn from other people is just to listen to content like this, reading books and consuming that, that rich content so that you don't have to touch the hot stove too many times and you just kind of know where that is. Then you can create your own luck better and better. So I, I wanted to ask you, so 
a couple months ago, I saw you on a podcast and in a clip you were asked, like, what would you say are some of those like top skills that you think entrepreneurs should learn in today's world? And the yeah. main thing that you talked about was learning how to communicate. But I feel like a lot of people hear that and they're like, oh, it's you go have conversations and all that. But actually, like what has been the significance of learning how to master communication? And for people that may struggle with building those interpersonal skills and relationships with other people, like what advice would you give to them? How did you master communication? If you're not really good at it initially, which I wasn't, I mean, uh, I had a, everything that you see today, I'm still learning. Like it's, it's right now, work in progress, right? But uh, one, there are a ton of channels on YouTube to learn these things. I love stand-up comedy, I always have. But to be able to walk into a room of strangers, I, I could never do it. I mean, I admire them so much. To, to, to be able to make a crowd of strangers laugh and ride that wave and control that room and just, it's incredible, it's incredible. And I'm talking about, like when I was in Nashville, I just popped into a, a place and they, they had stand-up comedy and it's, it's beautiful, improv, right? And so even if that's like, and I get it, like you don't, have to be, you don't have to be the best at it, but then you have to find someone who's a little bit better than you at it and you partner with them or you pay them for some coaching or you read their book or, you know, and you study it and find your own flavor because there's tons of ways to communicate. I mean, you guys are mastering the communication of distilling business content in a edutainment, fun, viral way, right? That's communication. That's it's translation and it's communication. It's distillation. It's, it's a little bit more than that, but um, at least if you can, convey yourself in a way that's effective enough for you to perhaps find some of those people, mentors, partners, employees that are a little bit more gifted from the front at it uh, and gifted in the sense that maybe they worked on a little bit more, maybe they enjoy it a little bit more. Um, and uh, if that's not your sauce, that's okay ultimately, but just you should still get better because uh, you know, things don't get easier, but you can get better and they, they look easier and feel easier. Um, and one of my mentors told me one day, if you stay focused and you keep improving yourself and, and you stay vulnerable and you ask those questions and you're going to get better and better, you're definitely going to get better. Like you're not going to get worse. So you're definitely going to get better. But uh, I, I'm not great at everything. I'm great at a few things that I'm disproportionately comparatively in my markets better than who's out there that's enough for me to then team up with other people and we admire simultaneously each other's skill sets and be like, dude, you're so good at writing. Ah, like I'm, I'm like 50% at your level and you're just growing every week. But now I don't have to focus on that as much. I can support you, but now I can focus on programming. And then you're like, you're so good at programming. You're so fast. How'd you figure that out? And then you build a team, right? You build a, a clubhouse and you say, you're going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. But you got to kind of dabble and see if you're good at things. You, you don't know until you really give it a shot. But if that's not your sauce, that's okay. At least get better. Read Charisma on Command, Dale Carnegie. Just kind of practice it and figure out your own flavor. If you try to do my flavor, it's not going to work. If I try to do someone else's flavor, it's not going to work. You got to kind of find your own flavor that makes sense to you. But it's the most important skill set in the world, but it just looks a lot of different ways. So you might, most of the communication is nonverbal. So maybe you get better at your posture and maybe you ask questions better. You're like, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk for more than 10% of the conversation. Well, then you better ask some really good questions and they're going to leave and go, I really like that guy. And you're like, I literally talked for three minutes. 
out of three hours. And that's another way to do it, right? There's also digital communication. So emails, getting better at writing emails, following up, that's, a, that's part of communication. Remembering people's birthdays, remembering their kids' names, uh, uh, remembering their wife or husband's name, their partner's names. Those are all very strategic, but they're also just nice things. You become a person that's nice to be around. And I want people to leave a conversation with me uh, and I really care and I want them to know that I care. So there, even if you don't say a peep, just you ask one question or something, you can get really good at that one question. Get really good at remembering stuff. So there's a lot of skill sets inside of that. I just think it's too valuable not to master at some point in your life. And that may look different for everybody. It'll look different than me, it'll look different than you. Um, you might be really good at writing thank you cards and you send thank you cards to everybody you meet with. And they go, oh, wow, like they're not even gonna care that you were quiet at dinner. Um, most people aren't thinking about it, they're thinking of themselves. And so if you can show them that you're able to kind of step outside of that and do that. And I'm spending time on this because I do, I get comments about this stuff. They go, well, Josh is just, he's great at talking and he's just like, I learned how to do this. Like I read how to present like Steve Jobs. I read the book, I watched the stuff. It's like plain tape. I go to stand up comedy, I watch it online, I watch it on Netflix. It's watched one last night, the Matt Reif one. So I'm just like, you know, that's something I put effort into and I enjoy, but I also know, remember, everyone has the same 24 hours. You think Elon Musk is programming all day? No. What is he doing? Talking. He's selling himself every day. He's asking questions, he's listening and he's talking. Communication. So the richest skill ever is communication. Convincing other people to do the work, convincing people to go on a journey with you, you know, motivating them, coaching them, right, ultimately, right? So that's it. If you go to a sporting event, you got the coaches screaming, uh, but the, and the players playing, and then the owners in the owner's box. Or if he's really involved, like Mark Cuban, he's down on the floor screaming with the coaches. But it's just different. And then the, the guy that owns the arena is at his ranch or something, right? So like there's levels to it and you kind of figure that out, but communication is by far the most profitable skill you can learn, however that looks to you. One question that we always love to ask the guests that we talk to is, you know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, everything that you built so far and everywhere where you're headed right now, how do you want to be remembered? A man of his word, a man of his word, I think ultimately is important. Um, uh, just, you know, leaving the conversation with the guy I felt inspired or I laughed or I felt heard or, you know, whatever, just like, just, that's all I want. Like that was, a, that was a great guy or a good guy. You know, I've been fortunate to have some amazing, uh, men and women in my life as mentors. And, um, you know, that's what I think about them. You know, I, I think, and, and, and some that have passed, uh, I'm like, damn, that, that was a great, dude or like she was awesome like just want to hang out with that person and just yeah they're smart or yeah they have experience or all this stuff but just uh just being a good person man i think that's that's ultimately i'm just on a mission to become a better a better man uh, a better partner a better leader um and you know try to give back as much as i can and just have that balance you know you, you've you've got one life here and i want to take advantage of it as best as i can and I think I was put on this earth to do more than just serve myself. I, I love to serve others. And so um, I'll probably spend the latter half of my life definitely doing even more of that um, because there's nothing like it. So I would say servitude, um, man of his word, um, you know, 
a hard worker for sure. I think that's definitely undisputed. Um, great father, great husband, uh, a great friend, great leader, as I mentioned. That'd be awesome, you know. And we like to end these off just by kind of asking our guests, but like if you could leave the younger generation with one last message, just a couple maybe guiding principles to really create and build a successful life. Like you became a nine-figure entrepreneur at a relatively early age, and a lot of people would aspire to do that. You know, for somebody looking up to you right now and, and trying to, if you could give them just a couple guiding principles. Give yourself grace. Give yourself grace. Um, you can't solve the world's problems in an afternoon. You know, it's just not going to happen. And as soon as you do, there'll be another batch of problems. So give yourself grace. Uh, everything you want, you will manifest and you will do. And if you're willing to work hard and stay persistent at it, uh, and you follow some of these principles, you're going to at least be an awesome person. And, and, and you're going you're gonna to be able to look in the mirror and say, you know what, I followed through and, I, and I'm, I'm doing the best that I can. And some days are bad days. Some seasons are more difficult and tough. And some seem like, you hit the lottery and they're never going to end. And I think that it's just important to take care of yourself, give yourself grace. Mental health is now thankfully being talked about in a, in a much broader fashion. Uh, and be willing to ask for help. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to do it all yourself. Um, this isn't the last business that you're going to run. You don't have to sell this one for a billion. Sell it for a million. Take that million and then sell the next one for six million. And then take that one and sell it for 60 million. And, you know, and then you realize after a million dollars, it doesn't matter. Once you can live wherever you want to live, eat what you want to eat, and you've got any car or transportation taking you from point A to point B, what it comes down to, and, and, and I've got some friends that are incredibly successful financially, every, everything, and they've told me directly, if you don't do the work along the way, you're going to have a lot of work to do at this destination. And so, okay, you sell a company for $100 million but you haven't taken care of yourself along the way, the body keeps score and there's the, you're, you're gonna have to pay for that. So I would say, take care of your mental health, build a supportive community, even if it's just digital, like you're like, I don't have anyone right now. Okay, create your own you know, mastermind essentially with YouTube. These are the channels I'm subscribing to, these are the pages I'm following, do a detox. What am I watching? Which podcasts am I listening to? Is, is this adding value to my life? Now, don't get me wrong. I like to have fun. So, you know, listen to a murder mystery podcast you know, for an hour and then mix it up. You know, it doesn't have to all be serious stuff, but take care of your mental health because your brain is a supercomputer. It's, it's, it's the most fascinating thing in the world. But even computers get viruses and you've got to detox and be willing to do that and do it every three months and be like, what's adding value? Oh, I spent three hours on Snapchat every day this week that's probably not good. No wonder why I feel depressed and down about my progress is because I'm allowing myself to be drowned in the intoxication of consumerism and you know these things. They're, they're successful for a reason. They're addictive hooks. And so you wanna be a producer more than a consumer. Uh, and if you can focus in production, what does that mean? Write a blog post, I don't know, write, make a video. Produce things that other people consume. And if you can keep working on that, that's all I would say a younger, just kind of, and give yourself grace. It's, it takes, you know, I've been doing this for about 17 years now, straight. And uh, it feels like a second and it feels like 400 years at the same time. And so, uh, and I feel like I'm just getting started, you know, and, and I hope God willing, I've got a long life, another 50, 60 years ahead of me. I don't know what to do with myself at this point, right? So 
everything's going to come to you. Give yourself grace, ask for help, and surround yourself with a, with a community, which includes the content that you consume. Great advice. And that's a beautiful episode. That's a wrap on today's podcast. Josh, thank you so much for joining us today. For everybody watching, be sure to leave a like and subscribe for amazing content on the way. And for those tuned in right now, Josh, where can everybody find you at? Uh, I'm at Josh Snow pretty much everywhere. Instagram is where I'm usually most active. Um, so Josh Snow and... Uh, yeah, honestly, that's the easiest. I don't want to give too many. To Once you search that, everything else will come up. And for everybody with crusty smiles out there, you know how to get right right here. Come on, <laughs> with Josh, no. come on now, you guys. Let's go. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, thank you. Awesome, Appreciate it.